Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. And we're looking into the future again. That's weird. It's like we're letting our futurist flag fly again. Yeah. yeah. Well, we have to. I mean, that we're talking about going to the edge of what's possible, and uh, the edge of what's possible generally lines up with the edge of what has happened and what's going to happen in the future. So I have a question for you. Yes. Are you ready for the neo-evolution? I don't know. That's a really intimidating question. Yeah, especially when I say it like that, huh? I would probably yell yay if it was like a, you know, like a DJ yelling it, because it sounds like the kind of thing you would hear like, Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Are you ready for the neo-evolution? And then everybody goes, yeah. But they or the don't Beatles. Really, yeah, or the Beatles. Yeah. Are you ready for a neo-evolution? <clears throat> yeah. All right. So obviously we're going to be talking about <laughs> evolution today, uh, specifically neo-evolution as defined by one guy. But before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about what is evolution. Yeah, let's uh, go ahead and, and hammer this out. Um, and I'm, I'm drawing from uh, How Stuff Works' own article, How Evolution Works, which is a great read, uh, especially if you don't understand evolution or if you find yourself in the familiar situation of thinking you understand something that is so talked about, but but you're not really sure on the uh, the finer points of it. Uh, it lays it out really nicely, uh, like most How Stuff Works articles uh, handle a topic. Indeed. But basically it breaks down to three essential parts. First part is that it's possible for the DNA of an organism to occasionally change or mutate. And a mutation changes the DNA of an organism in a way that affects its offspring, either immediately or several generations down the line. So that's the first uh, yes. condition. Right. The second one, the change brought about by a mutation is either beneficial, harmful, or neutral. Uh, I think I've hammered on this before, but... Um, the the whole, the word de-evolve de- or devolve, mm-hmm. like the idea that oh, in a post-apocalyptic movie, people devolved into monsters and chuds, and the they did not go backward. Right, there's evolution doesn't go backwards. Evolution always goes forward. Uh, it's possible. There's that, very very rare cases, very very rare. But on, yeah, but yeah. but but no, ev- evolution does. But no, evolution doesn't really go backwards. It's like it'll it it's it's altering, but it's it's moving forward. Like it's well for adaptation is what I'm talking. Yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's moving forward and, and adapting. Yeah. Okay, yeah, anyway. Yeah. All right, so, yeah, it can be beneficial, it can be harmful, it can be neutral. It's still evolution. If, if the change is harmful, then it's unlikely that the offspring will survive to reproduce. So the mutation dies and goes nowhere. If the change is beneficial, then it's likely that the offspring will do better than the offspring, uh, than the other offspring, and it'll reproduce more. And, uh, and through re- reproduction, the beneficial mutation spreads and eventually becomes dominant and the bad mutations uh, mm-hmm. disappear. Um, all right, and the third thing is, is as mutations occur and spread over long periods of time, they cause new species to form. So over the course of you know millions of years, the process of mutation and natural selection, uh, which we covered in the first two points, have created every single species that we have in the world today, mm-hmm. from the simplest bacteria to, uh, you know, elephants and dogs and... Cats and reptiles and, you know. You know yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, what we're talking about is variation, selection, and heredity, right? Yes. And, um, and you, you think about it, even with us, there are about 25 species of hominids that came before us, right? right. And we just happen to uh, have the ability to adapt to our environment, um, and, and we have done so pretty successfully. Uh, but there is a medical ethicist named Harvey Feinberg. He has a talk on TED.com, and it's called Are We Ready for a Neo-Evolution? And he has talked about this, this specific um, conditions for us 
evolving as humans, not necessarily talking about other animals or bacteria or anything else. Um, and he wants to talk really about what our future might hold in terms of evolution. He says that there are three different ways we could go. Yeah, because it basically comes down to these three uh, key facts of evolution that we discussed, whether or not they're still relevant uh, in modern human culture mm-hmm. or if we've managed to sort of elbow them out of the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So um, like one basic idea is if if we have through medicine managed to preserve a lot of genes that would otherwise be otherwise be selected out. In other words, harmful mutations. Right. Or. Or, or just traits that would, that we would eventually improve upon and, mm-hmm. and would be, again, elbowed out of the evolutionary conversation. Yeah. He's talking about the possibility that we might not evolve anymore, right? Because right. as you say, we have, we've sort of tinkered enough that we've, um, we've, we're sort of flatlining as a species, right? Right. Um, and then he's also talking about how we have made our environment adapt to us rather than us adapt to it. Right. It's the idea that it's like, oh, the world's getting hotter. Let's create air conditioning or let's, right. you know, we even in our more drastic, uh, uh, hilarious and tragic examples where we talk about uh, uh, geoengineering or planet hacking, uh, things like uh, like like, you know, tinkering with the atmosphere to reverse global climate uh, changes. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. Like even with China and the Olympics, right, when right. they were trying to change the weather by shooting, um, was it? It wasn't missiles, but it was some sort of munition up into the air mm-hmm. that would make it rain. So yes, we're we're um, we're manipulating our our environment all the time. Right, right. Um, and then uh, he also says that we're so interspersed that there's very little isolation in populations now mm-hmm. that would allow for the conditions of evolution. It's kind of like a Richie Rich scenario or something like the the kid who has everything and doesn't have to grow up. I may be confusing my cartoons. doesn't have to cartoons. evolve and, yeah. and grow up. Arrested development is a, a sort of... Yeah, I yeah. guess. You know, it's um, it, the idea that, no, we don't have to adapt to the world around us because the world around us doesn't touch us. We're insulated in this bubble. Um, We're richy rich. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. You know, it's like, I'm not that smart, but I got all this money, right? So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm good to go. <laughs> right. And then the second thing that he talks about, this, the second route we could take is just the traditional evolution. In other words, evolution is a juggernaut. You cannot stop it. In some way or another, it's going to continue. And he says, particularly if we colonize planets. Right. Yeah. We're sending people to other planets. And of course, we could really go off on a tangent here, but instead we'll just say, see the episode uh, titled The Werewolf Principle. Yeah. That we did about adapting humans for space. Because, yeah, there's this whole idea of as we send people out to colonize distant worlds, we certainly have the, the sci-fi storybook idea of terraforming a planet to make it just like Earth, which is it, which is again ties back into that whole, let's change an environment to fit us. Mm-hmm. But realistically, there's going to be at least a little us changing to fit that environment, whether we want it to happen or not. Right. And he's saying, like, uh, you know, obviously, if we tried to colonize Mars, for example, which, you know, this is what we've been preoccupied with a lot in terms of, um, you know, science, technology, um, you know, those are the conditions. You've got the isolation. You have this environment that is new to us. So, right. you know, you'd have to evolve in some way. Like, and at the very basic level, if there were minimum uh, physical requirements to colonize another planet, you're automatically selecting for those minimum requirements. Yeah, know? yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Right. And then the big one, which is obviously the one that he's very interested in talking about, is called neo-evolution. Yes, which we are going to get to right after this quick break. This presentation is brought to you by Intel, sponsors of Tomorrow. 
All right, we're back, and we're ready for the neo-evolution. Okay, we are now finally ready. Um, Let the neo-evolution begin. All right, what is he talking about, this guy, (laughs) this Harvey Feinberg? He is talking about neo-evolution as being um, guided and chosen by us. So what he's saying is that we are at a point technologically where we can begin to tinker with our own genes Mm -hmm. and select for ourselves. So we no longer need this randomness. We we can sit there and say, okay, self-directed evolution, let's do this. Um, and he's even saying you can see this in very basic ways where people are choosing to have more females than males. Right. Right? Because we know we, we can do this. We can choose the gender of a child. Um, and he's saying, like, let's, let's look at this in a more specific way. Let's look at genetic changes. Let's talk about taking out diseases like diabetes and cancer in your genes so that your children's genes could be uh, a better, a little bit more um, fit for their environment. Mm-hmm. Um, they would be healthier. And then he's talking about something called the $1,000 human genome, which I think is really an interesting concept. We all know about the Human Genome Project. This was a what's like a twelve year project, um, two point seven billion dollars, and they were able to um, decode the human genome. Oh wow! And it's had huge implications mm-hmm. all over the place. Uh, but he's saying that today, today you can have a complete sequence of the three billion base pairs of the human genome for just twenty thousand dollars in one week. I mean, oh, wow. you're talking about the comparison there, and this is and what we're seeing here is that technology, just like your TV. Right becomes cheaper over the years. So what he's saying basically is, in no time at all, the cost will be down to a thousand dollars. You can sequence your own human genome, and then after that, pretty much becomes available to anyone. So I can go and sequence my human genome and or my genome and see what might be in my children's future or what I might even be susceptible to and start to tinker with that now and start to treat that those diseases now, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. So this is what he's talking about in terms of neo-evolution, is that we are genetically driving the, the, the ship here rather than nature. Right. We are taking the steering wheel away from natural selection and all these other properties, not to personify evolution which i've done in the past a little bit just sort of in, in the in the name of storytelling well you know have, we, metaphors help us understand yeah. right so at least it does for me um so he's saying that technology can make this happen he's talking about doctors francis arnold and willem stemmer and the the fact that they have been able to create desirable properties in proteins and cells and this again is this directed evolution um in which they synthetically harness the power of natural selection to evolve proteins or RNA to, again, create desirable properties not found in nature. And then he points to another person named Shinya Yamanaka, who in 2007 discovered how to tinker with human skin cells so that they behave like embryonic stem cells. This is huge, uh, because that could potentially morph into things like a heart and nerve cells. You could repel, repair yourself on uh, a number of levels just with these human cells. And this and this again instantly flows into a number of ideas we've discussed before, such yeah. as the idea of defeating death or at least putting it off for nine centuries. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, and uh, the podcast 999 Birthday Candles, we yeah. talk about this guy named Aubrey de Grey, who is a biogerontologist. Mm-hmm. And in a very similar way, he's saying that it's very possible for us to extend our lives. We can very now, very it's very possible for a 50-year-old man now to be able to extend his life significantly, maybe even 500 years, if we are able to use these therapies that are available to us. Right. Um, so Aubrey de Grey, um, Harvey Feinberg, they're talking the same thing, really, but just different ways. 
Harvey Feinberg is just bringing a, a bigger question into the picture, which is evolution, which is, you know, are we going to get to the point where we can so well manipulate our environment and ourselves that it becomes we become the evolution, but hmm. we become the catalyst for it, which is an interesting question. It is. And and also just like, what is the end picture? Because when, when I think of us changing ourselves to to meet our own ends, I instantly think of, of like people who've had uh, tremendous amounts of plastic surgery, you know, and, right. and granted, hopefully you would have more uh, of an ethical guidance system uh, when it comes to uh, choosing our genetic destinies and the genetic destiny of the of the species. Well, we're talking about here is like a utopian version or a dystopian version, right? Yeah, or just a really mismanaged version where, you know, where people make sort of, you know, surface level choices that have severe ramifications. Well, I mean, the question is, is for me, I thought, well, okay, you can, you can probably, uh, steer the ship, so to speak, for a certain amount of time, but evolution, particularly in, um, bacteria, viruses, those are going to continue to mutate. Mm-hmm. This is what I think, at least. Uh, but then I saw that there's an article um, that was talking about Professor Floyd Romsberg, and he looked at superbugs' resistance to antibiotics like E. coli, mm-hmm. and he actually found that you can, you can stop evolution in certain strains, which is really interesting. He was, I mean, in order to evolve, organisms have to mutate, right? Uh, so they turn on the mutation process when they're threatened with extinction. We see this. We see this. This is why cancer cells are so aggressive sometimes, right? Right. Because they're, they're turning on this sort of ancient um, pattern and trying to vanquish the disease. Um, they're actually ending up splitting more and more cells. Uh, so Romsberg reasoned that since mutations can be turned on full force, perhaps they could be shut off as well. And doing so, he says, would put a halt to evolution well, an interesting prospect because the mutations responsible for evolution are the underlying causes of cancer and aging. So he says evolution is not an unstoppable force. There is a biochemistry underlying it, and it is subject to intervention. Hmm. So, I mean, the, can we be all the, the question is, could we be all over evolution all the time in order to control every single variation um, instance out there? So I don't think that you, you could as a species control evolution. This is my take on it. Yeah, I mean, it just also sounds like anytime we talk about controlling evol- evolution, I mean, we're still talking about either keeping it, keeping things as they are, mm-hmm. or we're basically tweaking things as they are to become an idealized version of what they are, like a best case, best best case scenario for for the species as it is today, instead of allowing the continued evolution of the species. Mm-hmm. Like that, you know, that like, I don't think we should necessarily look at ourselves as a finished species. Well, I don't think that Harvey Feinberg, um, the guy who's talking about neoevolution, is really talking about us as a, as a finished species. In fact, what he's saying is that, I mean, his, his real argument is that you could take this 100,000 year process of evolution mm-hmm. that you see in humans and boil it down to 100 years. And so you begin to select for traits like you could have the fast twitch muscle if you wanted to in your child, which would allow you to run faster and longer. Um, that there are certain things that we can twinker, tinker with, but the problem for me becomes the question of like, are we talking about transhumanism or are we talking about eugenics? Yeah. Um, it can get a little dark. Indeed. And I mean, also it's like, I, like I think of things like, like what if the next phase of, of, tra- of actual evolution would be the, uh, the that uh, consciousness, uh, the illusion of consciousness fades away. Then 
you know, then what are we doing by preventing that? Maybe that we would be better off if that was allowed to, to take place. Uh, but of course, we've talked about, I mean, if you're saying the illusion of consciousness is what has driven us quite a bit as a species, right? Because we yeah. always need a story. Um, and there's this, the mystery, right? Right. So, yeah. So maybe it's preventing us from, from just, uh, turning into smoke. Yes. Yeah. yeah from on a semantic level anyway. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and I mean, a lot of the utopian and dystopian ideas pretty much speak for themselves. Like the idea of us becoming, uh, uh, you know, twisted monsters <laughs> or, or are we becoming this perfect, uh, you know, race of, of idealized, uh, 21st century humans. Right. Well, we become just, um, taller and nicer. Yeah. <laughs> it's a possibility. I, I instantly think to the, uh, the work, uh, works of both, uh, Richard K. Morgan and Ian M. Banks. They both have sci-fi stories in which they have, uh, individuals who through science have virtually don't have to worry about disease anymore, but they get bored. So it's like among this sort of, uh, 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 risk-taking set, they'll, um, they'll intentionally, um, get the flu just so they can experience it <laughs> almost like it were a recreational drug well exactly wow. like an ex, uh, recreational drug it's kind of like the last high left to them is to well i'm going to contract uh, this flu and and uh, see what it's like flu for fun that's yeah. fascinating yeah yeah so i mean there is the the idea that that humans need you know we need we strife need, we need strife to to feel compassion and to and to to make us you know do the things that make us great and I'm pretty sure that viruses are always going to be there to help us with that. The viruses are not going to stop evolving. No. So there's Talk that. That's, there's that factor to consider as well. That's right. Well, there you go. We've got some new evolution. Are you ready for it? And are you ready for some listener email? Yes. Uh, well, I do have some listener uh, email. Well, actually, these are not emails. These are from our Facebook page where um, more and more people uh, tend to comment uh, there. And uh, both methods are valid. But uh, here are a few. Rachel writes in and says, Hey guys, I'm halfway through your podcast, You're So Vain, Earthlings. So she had to stop halfway through to, to contact us. I like that. And one of you brought up the theory that we may be living in a matrix type, type world. Isn't it the case that if at every point of our lives we are dreaming, then the word dream becomes synonymous with reality, and we are simply playing a semantic game. For a dream to be a dream, we have to eventually become aware that it is a synthetic reality. So if we live inside a giant illusion, say the Matrix, that we never wake up from, isn't the Matrix just plain old reality? The question is, the red one or the blue one? Which one do you want? I forget which one he took. It's been a I know, I was thinking about that, that too. Yeah. But no, these are, these are valid questions. No, it's though. really interesting. Yeah. Um... And, and I like the idea that someone would, yeah, because part of what we do with the, these episodes, I feel like, is we're stirring the imagination through science, through ponderings about We're trying. We're, well, I think we're doing it. We're right. It's stirring my mind and stirring uh, these listeners' minds. Um, then uh, we also heard from Thomas. Thomas uh, writes in to say, I just listened to the Day of the Dolphin podcast. Not one mention of Douglas Adams, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Not one! Exclamation point, all caps. <laughs> uh, by the way, I love the podcast, and it is awesome. I'm 15, and I live in Texas, and I listen all the time. Sweet. Yeah. Though we did, yeah, we kind of missed the missed the boat on making a Hitchhiker's Guide reference. There, I, I love that we have younger listeners, too, and they always have really interesting insights and, and good uh, critiques. Yeah. Such uh, as that. My main experience with 15-year-olds is... Uh, through the ones that are our listeners. And it makes me think that all 15-year-olds are pretty smart. Uh, and pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. We also heard from Edmundo, and Edmundo writes in to say, just listen to the Math, Invention, or Discovery podcast, and I was sort of surprised you didn't cover what Dan Everett had to say about 
the paraha and the apparent difficulty in teaching them uh, how to do basic mathematical equations. Their language only has two numbers, one and two. But even that is in dispute, as there is a strong argument that they just indicate a, quote, small amount versus a, quote, bigger amount. Is this indicative of mathematics being a human construct, or that the Paraha language socialization restricts innate mathematical capabilities to such a degree that reacquiring such a capab- capabilities is extremely difficult? That's an interesting question, yeah. um, particularly since we're looking at it through the lens of our language yeah. and our system of calculations. So you have to wonder for for that culture, is it a problem at all? Do you know what I'm saying? If, that, yeah. if that's their reference material? Um, yeah, I don't know. There's there's something there that we need to scratch at, I think. It's an interesting way of looking at uh, the world around you, though, that everything is perhaps either a small amount or a bigger amount. It's kind of like only viewing films as Coen Brothers films and other films. Which it is, makes things a little yeah, simpler, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> and we know that makes happiness when things are simpler. Right. Are we That's one of the reports out there. I don't know. Yeah. Well, let me make it simple to our listeners. If you want to uh, touch base with us about virtually any topic that we've covered uh, or might cover in the future or just some cool science that happens to be popping around your your uh, your headspace, then uh, drop in at Facebook or Twitter. We are Blow the Mind on both of those. And you can always drop us an email at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. Thank you.